Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer, Pat Hart. Hi again, everyone. Welcome to Podcasting for our health, episode eight. This is a long awaited one because COVID almost derailed lots of things, but we don't let COVID win now, do we? Here we are again with the wonderful Pat Hart. And without Pat Hart, these podcasts would not be made, literally. So Pat, thanks again for joining us. Prim, it's a pleasure. I can't even ever say that I'm not going to work with you again because you're so nice and charming, you know, is that I have to, I've got no choice. You're just, your words are are wonderful. We're, we're, we're sitting here, we're smiling, but it's been a tough time, hasn't it? If you think over the period that we've been recording these podcasts, um, so many people that we've lost, so many things have been happening around the world. We've had lockdown after lockdown and maybe things will never get back to normal, Prim, will they? Not as we knew them. What is normal? I don't know what normal is anymore. I just don't know. I I just know that this is normal for us. Yeah. Quite literally. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and, and and I was going to say, for those that have just joined Podcasting for Our Health for the first time, in a nutshell, what are these all about, Prem? Well, Pat, it's about sharing personal stories from myself, from medical professionals, from patients, from people who care for patients, who are blood and organ reliant. I myself am a transplant recipient, very grateful and happy transplant recipient. And it's trying to encourage people, especially those from my own community, the African heritage community, to think about becoming a donor, not to force them, but to think about it. You could save a life like mine. Someone saved my life and I'm eternally grateful for that. So, you know, we talk about the ins and outs. In this episode, it's a little bit touche because I talk about things I've never talked about before. You know, things relating to how I feel mentally about getting a transplant fairly swiftly. Yep, there are things that bother me mentally about getting a quick transplant. You'd be shocked to hear that, wouldn't you? Absolutely. One of the things, Prim, I've realised is on this journey, I've been educated. And I think this is the biggest thing is that there's stuff that we just don't know. People talk about, oh, yeah, kidney failure, kidney transplant. They talk about sickle cell, calling it a disease, talk about a shortage of donors in so many different ways from both organs and blood. And then our own communities, you know, global majority communities, we don't realize how terrible, and I'm going to say this, how terrible we have been in the past about signing forms, about giving permissions, about turning up, having our biscuits and cup of tea and giving blood. We, we've really got to step up, haven't we? we? We do. We do, Pat. And the challenge is put out there by two individuals who are authentic. Mm. We're recipients yeah. of so many things that we rely on other people to keep us literally alive. And today is World Kidney Day, a very special day for people like me and those who look after me. Prim, 
Give us some of the names we've got lined up on today's episode of Podcasting for Our Health. Today, we'll hear from Dr. Pippa Bailey, a consultant nephrologist and researcher. A nephrologist looks after your kidneys. Then we will hear from Angela Ditchfield. She is a specialist nurse, organ donation, or SNOD. Then we will hear from Dr. Wilf Okorafor. He is a registrar nephrologist, almost a consultant nephrologist, just a couple more exams to go. And then you'll hear from me, Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner, talking about stuff that lots of people have never heard before and may find a little difficult hearing, especially seen as I'm such a happy-go-lucky girl. Do you know what? Do you know when we say we see someone for a long time or we haven't seen someone for a long time and we say, hey, Prim, how are you? I'm fine. (laughs) But that's the thing, you see. If only when we ask that question, if only we were ready for the real answer. And you know what I've started doing now, Prim, when people say, how are you? I say to them, do you really want to know? Because we'll we'll need a bit of time. Because I can't do it anymore. I can't always say I'm fine, you know, because often I'm not. And I think we'll hear from you later. But our mental health, our vulnerabilities, um, the way that we that we feel often, we hide it away. And it's it's probably not very good for us, is it? But it's because the world, Pat doesn't really want to hear how we're doing because nobody makes time for that yeah okay let's introduce then our first guest Prim. here is dr pippa bailey consultant nephrologist and researcher i spend some of my time working as a consultant in the kidney unit at uh, one of the hospitals in bristol but i spend most of my time working at the university of bristol doing research into kidney disease and a kidney transplantation. And you say you're a kidney doctor. What does a kidney doctor do? We work with people who have kidney disease and they might have kidney disease for a short time in their lives. It might be a, a very short period of kidney disease that they recover from, but a lot of people have kidney disease for their lives. Therefore, we get to know people with kidney disease really well and we get to work with them as they kind of navigate the journey of the pathway of having kidney disease and thinking about different treatments for that. I personally work alongside people who have kidneys that are damaged significantly so that it's affecting their health, their ability to live and do things that they like. I work with people who have kidney failure where the kidneys really aren't doing enough to keep someone well and keep someone happy and healthy and so most people need extra treatments to keep them well and some of those treatments include dialysis and transplantation. And most of my work is with people who have been lucky enough to have a kidney transplant. And some of my work is with people who have chosen to donate kidneys, so to give a kidney to someone else that they might know who needs a kidney transplant. I am a kidney patient and and I know you medically because you, you have been my consultant and has been there for me. You said earlier some people have kidney disease for a short time in their life and some may have it longer. What would you classify as people who have kidney disease for a short time and those who have it longer? What are the differences? 
So sometimes the kidneys get upset by something just temporarily and then they recover. The thing, different things that can upset kidneys are things like infections. So lots of people might be familiar with sort of having a, a bladder infection or a kidney infection. And that's something that temporarily can cause a bit of kidney upset and the, the kidneys might not be working quite so well. But you can treat the infection and the infection gets better and the kidneys get better. So they only have a kidney disease for a very short time. There are other diseases that can temporarily upset a kidney. Sometimes people have allergic reactions to drugs, medications, things like that, that can also temporarily upset the kidneys, which means temporarily the kidneys are not going to work for a bit, but then you treat the underlying problem and the kidneys sort of come back to life and work perfectly again. But there are other people who have something that damages the kidneys more permanently, and we can't make the kidneys better at the moment. And so instead of being able to make the kidneys better, we have to look at other options of trying to do the job of the kidneys with other treatments or giving someone a kidney transplant, which will obviously give someone a new kidney, which will start to do the job of the kidneys of theirs that have failed. So for people like me, I've got polycystic kidney disease. I inherited it from my mother mm. who inherited it from her mother who inherited mm. it from her mother. You know, I'm doing my genealogy and I'm, I'm trying to sort of reconcile with where it came from and how it started in the first place. But for people like me, in, in a very simplistic way, is there a cure for polycystic kidney disease? And if there isn't, is there one on the horizon maybe? I'm an optimist so I, and I have great belief in the power of humanity to learn and develop and come up with great ideas and great solutions problems. So at the moment, there isn't a treatment that will make someone's kidneys that have been damaged by polycystic kidney disease better. There are some treatments that slow down how quickly the kidneys get damaged. So as you know, kidneys with which have been affected by polycystic kidney disease will often work for a long time very well, but then gradually over time, the cysts will get worse and the kidneys will start to slowly fail. There are some treatments that try and slow down that decline so that people don't get to kidney failure as soon as they would have done without that treatment. But at the moment, we don't have treatments that will make polycystic kidney disease better. I'm hopeful that in the future, someone cleverer than me will develop that sort of treatment. As we talk about no cure for kidney disease, because as a patient, I know that for hereditary disease like mine, or if somebody gets into like a major accident, it can be fixed, an infection or something temporary. But when it's the actual organ itself is damaged physically, it's very, very difficult. And that brings me to the other half of the work that you do, and that is around the research, yeah. how difficult is it for you to access patients, especially patients from non-European backgrounds, patients who often have other illnesses? Some of them are lifestyle. Some of them, again, are inherited, you know, maybe things like heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure. We know that those underlying issues really do impact the function of the kidneys. How difficult is it for you to access these individuals for some of the research projects that you do and maybe you could tell us about a couple of them. People with kidney disease are key to the research we do. You know, the aim of the research we're all involved in is to try to improve the quality of care, the experiences, the life experience of people with kidney disease. And so it, it's all about them. So they have to be involved. They have to be driving the questions that we're addressing, driving the design of the studies, commenting on how we're undertaking the research, commenting on the findings, being involved in the sort of interpretation, and then the sort of promotion, sharing of, of the findings with, with society and community groups. You often hear about um, researchers saying that there are sort of hard to reach groups of people who are less likely to contribute to research 
I don't really like that term because I don't really think people are hard to reach. You know, they're not hiding. They are there. They're either in your clinics or they're, you know, in your community groups living down the street from you. They're, you know, on your hospital ward. It's just that we fail to reach them. We fail to engage with them. Um, So you asked me how difficult it is to find people from different groups in society, people with different diseases, different experiences. In reality, it isn't difficult. And we could ask people when we've seen them in clinic, when we've seen them after a dialysis session or something. But it does tend to be that most of the people who have kidney disease who then contribute to research are from certain groups in society. And they tend to be people who are educated, quite empowered. They tend to be people who are white. They tend to be people who are from slightly more affluent areas. And those people don't represent everyone with kidney disease. And so as researchers, we do need to do better at making sure that the people contributing to research represent people who have kidney disease. And that, as you've sort of said earlier, could be anyone in society. We're quite lucky, aren't we, in that we have the Bristol health integration team which has a couple of people with kidney disease on it who bring very different experiences of kidney disease and very different life experiences different backgrounds and that's really helpful to get different perspectives on the ideas we're sort of talking about for research my main focus at trying to understand health inequalities there are obviously lots of different inequalities in society uh, some related to someone's age someone's sex someone's ethnicity where someone lives and my research is really focused on understanding an inequality that's related to where people live and what sort of people have and what opportunities they have if you look at society as a whole people who live in areas that are classified as sort of deprived, the sort of poorer areas in, in society, they have worse health and have a lower life expectancy than people who are living in more affluent and wealthy areas. And, you know, there's parts of Bristol that you and I both know where you can walk from one area to another, they're sort of less than half a mile apart, and the life expectancy of people in those areas differs by about 10 years. So, you know, people in one area live almost 10 years longer than people in another area. That health inequality and that sort of problem with where you live and your health related to that is, is true in kidney disease as well. People who live in more deprived areas are more likely to get kidney failure than people who are living in wealthier areas, but then they are less likely to get a kidney transplant than people who are living in wealthy areas. They're more likely to get a health problem, but then they're less likely to get the best treatment for it. And my research has tried to understand why that inequality exists and to try and do something about it, say, OK, now we understand that problem, what we do is to try and make sure that people have the same access to the best treatment for kidney disease, regardless of where they live. Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner, and broadcaster and producer Pat Hart. Wow, Dr. Pippa Bailey, their consultant, a nephrologist and researcher, talking about so much kidney disease, failure, and research around those treatments. Um, Prim, for me, every day is a school day, but for you, was that stuff that you already knew, or every time you speak to somebody, is there new stuff that comes up that you didn't quite get before? Yes, very often. Even listening to people I've interviewed before and we have featured before, I hear stuff and I think, I don't remember hearing that and I didn't know. Well, if you just joined us, this is Podcasting for uh, Health with Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and we're on episode eight so there's seven more for you to enjoy make sure uh, that you subscribe to the channel and when the brand new episodes come you'll be notified straight away let's move on prim who have we got next we have angela ditchfield she is a specialist nurse on organ donation 
or a snod. So we work really closely with families who are, you know, at the worst possible time of their lives. And if the families want to agree to organ donation, then we help to facilitate that and make sure that that happens for them so that the loved one can go on and help save other lives. Angela, tell me, how difficult a conversation is it for you to have with a family who has just been told that their loved one is not going to survive? It's such a difficult conversation. And for us, you know, we want to make sure that we are working with that family to support them at that awful time. And like you say, it's, you know, the worst possible time for them. They're losing someone they love. But we want to make sure that we can do anything we can to help them at that time. And organ donation is something that helps families. We know that they can't save the loved one, but their loved one could go on and change the life story of someone else and, you know, save life. So for families, that's something that they're really proud of for the loved one and really selflessly think of others in that situation so the conversations we have are are very difficult but again like I said it's it's a privilege to be speaking to families at that time and helping to support them. A lot of people don't understand who can donate their organs. Can you tell us the circumstances around which someone can become a deceased organ donor? Like you said people sign on to the organ donor register and think I want to be an organ donor and think that's a given that that'll happen and that's not the case. There's only around 1% of the people who die who can actually become organ donors because of the circumstances that they have to die in. And and that's why we work as specialist nurses in critical care areas. So to become an organ donor um, at the time of your death, you've got to be on a life support machine in a critical care area. So like the accident emergency or intensive care, critical care as it is now. So it's a very small percentage population dying in circumstances you're more likely to need a transplant than you are to be a donor so it's really important that we're making sure that as you know we identify make sure these patients who are in that situation their families are offered um, organ donation because there's such a small pool of people who die in that situation but then on the other side waiting for a transplant there's a huge amount of people waiting for life-saving transplants has a massive impact on society where people can get back to work and go on to have children and things like that so it's huge it's a huge thing to do I'm Primrose Granville the accidental campaigner podcasting for our health I didn't set out to do this. However, I'm the daughter and sister of transplant recipients. I'm the mother of someone who may one day need a transplant. And I'm also a transplant recipient myself. Hi, I'm Paha, a broadcaster of mostly South Asian background. And I'm partnering with Primrose to produce this series of podcasts. So that was Angela Ditchfield, specialist nurse for organ donation. As uh, Prim said before, we heard from her, a snod. It kind of sounds like an unkind name, Prim. That does, doesn't it? I know, Pat. (laughs) Imagine I say, oi, behave, you snod. Uh, But actually, it's really, really important. And also, of course, some of the stuff she was talking about, you know, how families are approached at uh, end of life. Uh, about organ donation this is something that we always urge people have that conversation with your families because otherwise it becomes too it's it, it becomes difficult it's too late and when we're in an emotional state often we're not able to do the right thing and of course that would mean we're unable to save a life prim yes we must leave them certain so prim who've we got next 
So we have Dr. Wilf Okorafor. He is a registrar nephrologist, almost a consultant. You know, I'm originally from Nigeria, which means I have an Afro-Caribbean heritage. And, you know, I got sort of interested in this when you look at all the health inequalities that are core, particularly in um, reference to organ donation and the fact that, you know, we make a relatively minor proportion of the population of the UK. Uh, we have a higher need for organs. Um, you know, there are difficulties in getting those organs to, to our people. And that's why I got involved with this and was sort of involved in trying to get this down to members of our community. And I felt it would be a good idea to try as much as possible to offer whatever pieces of expertise I have to try and encourage people from our community to get involved with organ donation as much as possible. Thank you so much for that, Will. Some some really altruistic reasons for why you do what you do, and, and I like that. We're talking yeah. about the kidneys, and there are these two little beans that most people don't really know what they do. Can you tell us what our yeah. kidneys do and why they're so important? Yeah, so you're right. You've mentioned them as, <laughs> as the beans. You know, so you have sort of like bean-shaped structures that are located somewhere within your tummy, I guess, in as simple a way as possible. And, uh, you know, they are connected to certain pipes to the bladder. And that's where we sort of pass urine from, for, you know, as an example. So the kidneys do a lot of things in the body. First of all, the, the simplest thing to say is to, to try and sort of arrange our fluid levels to try and make sure that we don't get a lot of fluid on board. And that's why you pass urine. So when you're passing urine, that helps you to get rid of some of the fluid that you have on board. Another thing that the kidney does is helps you to regulate your electrolyte. And, you know, you hear about things about your potassium and your sodium, for example. And that's important because these body salts are also important in how the heart functions, how the muscles of the body function, to mention a few things. They also have a role in um, helping us keep a good supply of blood going on. So they produce a substance called erythropoietin that helps to keep the blood levels at reasonable levels. And so you could become quite anemic if your kidneys are not functioning. Secondary to this is the fact that in, a, in trying to regulate your fluid levels, the kidney is also important for your control of your blood pressure. And so a lot of people with kidney problems will tend to have um, the high blood pressure if, if the kidney function begins to get out of sync. So when you have kidney problems, because the kidney helps you to get rid of a lot of the waste products in the body, it helps to keep the balance right. If the kidneys have problems, then you begin to get lots of things that we sometimes see in people having a lot of fluid on board. And that can accumulate in your lungs so that you get breathless. They may find it difficult to maintain their good blood pressure. The waste products accumulate and make you feel very sick. You have a loss of appetite. You could become quite nauseous. You, know, you could vomit, so you feel very sick. Some people have a lot of itching. A lot of people are anemic, and so you don't have a lot of strength, and it's difficult for you to sort of do those daily activities that you normally expect to be able to do as a normal, functional human being. Wilf, you, you mentioned something about organ donation earlier. Yeah. Why is organ donation so important, especially for members of the African Caribbean communities here yeah. in, in the UK? I mean, organ donation, you know, means giving part of your body to someone else who needs it when their organ fails. And we call that a, a transplant, all right? There are lots of the body that could be and donated. You talk about the kidney, blood, you talk about the heart, liver, lungs, 
cornea's, lots of those things can be given. And why is it important for you to donate your organs? I think, you know, in the most basic way, you can save lives, basically. So if someone's lost an organ and you have the ability to give an organ to help them, that could save a life. And this is something that you can do that is free of cost. Um, you don't need to pay any money for that. It helps some people to overcome their fear of death or anxiety, um, you know, because going through that process of trying to help people can also increase the feeling of self-worth. I think it's the biggest charity work that any of us can do. Um, if you want to give back to your family, you want to give back to society. And in certain instances, you know, when people die and the organs are used to save other people's lives, it can help your family try and make sense of their deaths in some way. Sometimes you can feel that at least your friend or someone has passed away and they were able to save their lives by doing that. Now, why is it important in our community for us to donate organs? Um, and I could give some figures, but we know that in terms of the population, uh, people from the Afro-Caribbean community from the last survey make up roughly about 3% of the UK population. But when it comes to requiring organs, they probably need about 10% of, of the organs that are, you know, that are needed. You know, when you think about the fact that you make up only 3% of the population, but when you need organs, you need you make up a higher proportion of people who need organs. That tells you that there's, there's a bit of a problem. Donations from people from the Afro-Caribbean community has generally been at an all-time low. When you're getting an organ from someone who is related to you in the sense of someone from a similar heritage, because that means your genetic makeup may be similar. This can also reduce the risk of rejection down the line. And so, you know, if we're able to donate organs, we can significantly reduce the amount of time that members of our community have to wait get an organ. I always say, talking about a kidney transplant, for example, we know that people from the Afro-Caribbean community generally have to wait at least a year longer for a kidney transplant as compared to people from the other ethnic, ethnic communities. If you can get an organ that can help you to overcome your feeling of unwellness and get you to be a productive member, it also has a general way of being better economically for members from the Afro-Caribbean community too. My mother had a transplant. She waited nearly 14 years on dialysis. My sister also right. had a transplant. She waited nearly 10 years. My right. transplant arrived six months and one day after I was put on the transplant list. But I was so okay. conditioned to wait for a long time that I actually had what I would call a robust conversation with the specialist nurse on organ donation called me to say, we have, we have a kidney for you. I said to her, no, you got it wrong. You've made a mistake. Yeah. It's too soon. It's only been six months and a day. And, and I think she might've thought, is, is this patient for real? Is there an expectation because there are so few organs available in our communities that when we're not waiting forever, I know people who've waited 20 odd years for an organ. Some people have waited 12, 15, 16, 14. And I will honestly say that when I got that call that Saturday morning, I felt that I had robbed somebody else. I felt that I hadn't suffered enough. I felt that it wasn't real. I felt it was a joke. I just felt that it wasn't happening because it was happening six months and one day later. And, you know, people say to me, why do you go on about the one day? And I say to them, because every single day you wait matters. And I still can't believe it happened so soon because I was actually conditioned to wait at least three years, Will. And that's where I, I come from with this story. How prevalent is that conditioning in our community? 
you raise a couple of um, very salient points, which, you know, from what you said, you know, I'm quite glad. I think you're probably one of those stories that is probably an exception to the rule when you think about it. Basically, when it comes to kidney transplants, you know, the average waiting times for kidney transplants are anywhere between two to three years. Or, you know, if you say the seed transplant, so just if you have someone who's alive, who's donating for you, then that probably takes the time down considerably because all you need to do is to make sure that, you know, you guys match appropriately and plan that in a, in a good manner. But, you know, you're quite right. You know, when you're awake for a transplant, you know, the time scale varies quite a bit. There's an average time scale. And I must say that in your own case, for whatever reason, I guess the simplest explanation I can say is that you were lucky to get it as quickly as you did. And you're quite right that there's an expectation usually from members from the Afro-Caribbean community. You may have to wait for a longer period of time. Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer, Pat Hart. So that was Dr. Wilf Okorafor there, a registrar and consultant in training. Um, Really fascinating because many of us don't know actually what the kidneys do. Um, And one of the things all the way through this podcast series we've been talking about, why organ donation is so important in African heritage communities. Today is Thursday, March 10th, 2022, and it's World Kidney Day, a day dedicated celebrating kidneys in every sense of the word. I am a kidney transplant recipient, so I am very happy that there is a day to celebrate kidneys because I very nearly never had a kidney to celebrate. And now that I have one, I'm very, very pleased to do that. There's so much inequality where organ donation is concerned for members of African Caribbean communities. Why it's so important and why my story of getting an organ donation, a new kidney, my diamond lily, in six months and one day. I will tell you now, it doesn't happen It doesn't happen in any circumstances and I still feel that I robbed somebody because I got my transplant six months and one day after being put on the UK transplant list. Again, it doesn't happen. And this is why I do podcasts like this, because I feel that I have been blessed to ensure that other people don't wait as long as my mother did or my sister did, that people who are languishing on transplant waiting lists, whether it be a kidney a heart or a cornea aren't languishing because we need to take this in our own hands. I am not forcing anyone. I'm not compelling anyone, but I'm asking you to think differently. I am here doing this podcast because somebody's family decided if we should lose a loved one, we are going to use their loss to be a legacy for someone else. So think about someone like me who very nearly got to the stage where I might have just decided I'm giving up because having renal failure, kidney failure, is not a walk in the park. I never got to go on dialysis. I was lucky, blessed. But I'll tell you something, being on dialysis as a replacement treatment for your kidney function is no walk in the park. I have watched too many people that I love and know personally go through it. And it's not nice. Did you know that I still suffer from guilt for having waited less than my mother? Do you know that I still feel that I robbed someone because I waited 
such a short period of time. Do you know that I struggle mentally every single day thinking, what happens if my transplant doesn't last? Because a kidney transplant is not a cure. I am still very positive, but I still have that side of me because I am human. Wow, Primrose, um, really, really emotive and, and, and digging deep, I guess, uh, into, into your inner thoughts. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's it, isn't it, Prim, um, virtually for this That's- episode? Yes, Pat, that's it for Podcasting for Our Health, Episode 8, World Kidney Day. Wow. Thank you, Prim. We'll see you next time, everyone. Thank you, Pat. Yes, we'll see everyone next time. Podcasting for Our Health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer, Pat Hart.